Isaiah chapter number one. And so if you're a child, then you're dismissed to go to children's church. Not childlike or childish, but a child. And so there's an age, probably uh, an age limit on that. And so good to see the saints go marching out. I'm encouraged by the good number of folks here this morning. And uh, just introduce my family quickly as we're getting to Isaiah and the kids are getting to class. My name's Thomas Engel. I'm an evangelist. And uh, you say, what in the world is that? You one of those guys on TV? No, not one of those guys. And so uh, you say, is an evangelist a gifted soul winner? No, he's not a gifted soul winner. Uh, an evangelist is a gift to the church for the edifying and the uh, equipping of the saints. And so we travel itinerantly, and uh, we've been in revival work for about 10 years. And so how many of you noticed the trailer outside just to the right of our church, the church here? That's our home, okay? That's not our home away from home. That's our home all the time. We live on the road. We're, we're traveling probably nine or ten months out of the year. Uh, summer, we kind of take uh, some time when we're preaching camps and things like that. But, uh, but we have three children. My wife, her name is Sarah, and she's from the Chicago area, and I'm from Charlotte. And I tell folks we have a cross-cultural marriage, and so uh, we do, and she's the best thing that ever happened to me outside of my salvation. And uh, we have TJ, who's 13 years old, and then we have Elise and Vance, who just left, and so... Uh, we are delighted to be here. It's our privilege, really, to be here with you uh, this week. And it's going to go by really fast, you know. And so Wednesday is going to come and go. And the evangelist doesn't bring revival. There's a, really a misconception about revival. We talk about praying for v- revival, and we should pray for revival. Uh, but the first ingredient in revival is not prayer. It's humility. And we really need to see our need. And revival is not something magical. I don't believe it's something... Uh, that necessarily falls from heaven. I believe revival is so practical, it's just simply obeying the things that we know that we ought to obey. And, uh, and so many times in so much of our life, we kind of live subnormal Christianity, if I can put it that way. But revival is just living normal Christianity. It's reading your Bible. It's praying. It's telling others about Christ. It's just obedience to the Lord. And so it's really that simple. And so we've been in revival work for about 10 years, traveling with our family. We also have a dog named Charlie. We had a fish that traveled with us for about a year and a half, but he didn't make it too much longer after that. And so, and now we have, I think, two, two lizards that are traveling with us. And so it's exciting all the time. And so any questions about our ministry, we'd love to answer them. And so uh, appreciate the fellowship that we've enjoyed already. And uh, Pastor Spring, appreciate the opportunity. And so hopefully we can be a help and a blessing to you. I was saved when I was 27 years old. How many of you were saved as an adult? Many of you here were saved as an adult. And uh, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, grew up in a broken home, and uh, I had heard about Jesus growing up. And if you'd asked me if I was a Christian, I would have said, sure, I'm a Christian. I believe in God, Uh, but but does uh, the devil, is he a Christian? He believes in God, too. And so that doesn't make logical sense. And so uh, my sister and her boyfriend, they were saved as a result of going to a good Bible preaching church, and they started having a Bible study in their apartment. And, uh, and I was able to attend that Bible study, and I heard the gospel clearly for the first time. Uh, I, believed, I believed most of my life that there was a God. I believed that Jesus was the Son of God. I believed that he died on the cross, but I had never uh, trusted him personally. It was a mental, mental ascent. But when I was 27 years old, in the front seat of my, my Chevrolet pickup truck in Charlotte, North Carolina, I bowed my head and I trusted Christ as Savior, asked him to forgive me of all my sins, and, uh, and they were many, and he did, and now I have a home, a home, eternal home in heaven, not be- because I go to church, not because I've been baptized, but because I've trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior, and, uh, and you can have that assurance too. Not long after that, somebody said, hey, you need to go to Bible college. 
and I'm single. I'm this time I'm 28 years old. I've been in the military for eight years, and I think Bible college. What in the world is that? Is that where you go learn about David and Goliath and Noah's Ark? I never knew a place like that existed. Uh, then a preacher told me, he said, hey, if God's called you into the ministry, uh, he's called you to prepare, and you can serve the Lord, and you can preach, and you can go into the harvest field with a spade, or you can go to Bible college and get the tools that you need, or you can go into the harvest field with a John Deere tractor, and really the choice is up to you. You can be ineffective. And so I surrendered that to the Lord, went off to Bible college, and that's where I met my wife. She's not a preacher. But she's a pretty good preacher, if you know what I mean. And so uh, ladies have a way of doing that. And so she'll be teaching the kids this week. If you have children and grandchildren, she'll start tonight with those age groups. And so you say, I'd come every night, but I don't know what to do with my kids. Well, just bring them. And so it'll be kind of like date night. And she'll have them uh, just outside, and we'll have our service in here. And, uh, and it'll be a good week, and I hope that you'll come and attend. Are you in Isaiah chapter number 1? Isaiah chapter number 1. I'm going to read the first couple of verses, then we'll pray and, uh, and get into the message. The Bible says in verse number one, the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Verse two, he says, hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken, I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. This little side note. Proverbs 22 and verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he shall not depart from it. So somebody asked the question, is that a promise or a principle? I, I say yes. And so I think it's primarily a principle because I'm learning this. My children have their own will and desire. And, uh, and somebody says, well, it's a promise. If you do exa exactly everything you're supposed to do, then your children will just turn out perfect. Well, notice what the Scripture says. It says, God says, I have nourished and brought up children. And then what's it say? And they have what? Rebelled against me. He says in verse 3, the ox knoweth his owner and the ass his master's crib. But Israel doth not know. My people doth not consider. And then he says in verse 4, ah, sinful nation. A people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are gone away backward. I'm going to preach a message this morning entitled, The Church's Greatest Need. Let's bow our heads and pray together, please. Our Father, we come to you this morning again. We're thankful for your goodness. Thank you for your provision in our life. Thank you that we have a time that we could come apart and just focus on uh, spiritual matters. And I pray that, Lord, something that is said in the message this morning would encourage and help us to see the greatest need of the hour. And, uh, Lord, I pray that we would all just be humble before you, not worry about what anybody else is thinking, but, Lord, what you think about us, each one of us as individuals. And, Lord, if there's somebody here that's not certain of heaven, they're not certain if they died Today they'd go to heaven. I pray that, Lord, you'd convict them of their need and that you'd help them to have the assurance of salvation. And I pray that you'd work. And I pray that, Lord, we'd see some spark, some lightning flash of revival this week in our hearts. And I pray that you'd use the preaching. And thank you for all that you do for us. And, Lord, uh, the world is in great need right now. And I pray that you'd meet that need. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So if I was asked that question this morning... Uh, what is the world's greatest need? Well, there'd probably be a lot of opinions on that, wouldn't there? Somebody would say, you know, the last two years have been crazy. Now, whether you think 
the coronavirus is a pandemic or a plandemic. That's your own opinion, and I'm sure that you have one, but all of us could say it has certainly complicated life for the last two years. Could you say that? It has complicated life in a major way. So somebody would say, you know what we need? We need a medical breakthrough. That's our greatest need of the hour. Some would say that. It's interesting, just over the last two weeks, it's almost passed off the scene. It's just almost really kind of just disappeared almost. And so, and so somebody else would say, you know, the greatest need is not medical. The greatest need of the hour is an economic need. I mean, look at gas. I mean, diesel's over $5 a gallon in some places. And, and, uh, and boy, our greatest need is an economic need. We need to move away from the central bank and do this and diversify and do all this. And here's one thing that we learn from history. When you throw money at a problem, it doesn't make it go away. It makes it bigger. And so our problem is really not a money problem. It's not a medical problem. Somebody would say, hey, you know what our problem is? We have a political problem. And uh, this country is a mess. This, this, by the way, this country has been a mess since before it even started. You know why? Because it's been ran and governed by sinful people. I love the history of the United States of America, and I'm, I think it's very special but if you study history, there have been 21 civilizations, human civilizations in the history of the world, and 19 of them no longer exist. And they've gone off the way, not from the enemy without, but from corruption within. And so we will go the way history goes. And somebody says, you know, we, we just got a political problem in this country. That's what it is. And, uh, and, and really the greatest problem in our country and the greatest problem in our church is not, uh, it's not monetary, it's not economic, it's not political, it's not racial, uh, it's not uh, any of those things, it's a spiritual problem. And, and really at the root of all of our external problems is a spiritual problem. And, and the greatest need for our churches really, and uh, our country will go the route our churches go. History teaches that, and so the greatest need of the hour is not out there. The greatest need of the hour is right in here. And so if God's people will get their thinking right and get their obedience right, it will affect your home, it will affect your workplace, it will affect your church, it will affect everything. And so Isaiah, guess what? He could see it. And I want to give you uh, just three simple things about Isaiah. We're going to look through the passage. Isaiah, somebody once said, is the Bible within the Bible. The Bible is 66 books in your Old and New Testament. The book of Isaiah is 66 chapters. The first 39 chapters, Isaiah is preaching fire and brimstone. You ever heard of a fire and brimstone preacher? I mean, you better get right with God because judgment's coming and uh, this is what it looks like and this is how it's going to come. Well, for 40 or 39 chapters, it's all condemnation, condemnation, condemnation. And Isaiah preached that way not because he was mean or trying to be hurtful, but he had a broken heart. And, uh, and he had a perception about him. He could see his country on the outside. Maybe it looked really good, but you know what? On the inside, it was a mess. And it broke his heart and he preached, he preached hard messages because he loved his people. A true prophet of God has a tremendous love for God and a tremendous zeal for his country. We could say that Isaiah was a patriot. 
And for 39 chapters, he preaches condemnation, condemnation. Then when he gets to chapter number 40, it switches to a message of consolation, God's mercy and God's grace. And so, and so point number one is very simple. We see Isaiah's perception. Isaiah's perception. The Bible says the vision of the son of Amos, which he saw. He says, come down to verse number four. We'll pick it up where we left off. He says, ah, sinful nation. A people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers. Now, most of Isaiah's listeners would have been like this. <laughs> Brother Isaiah, what are you talking about, man? I mean, everybody's got two cars in the driveway. The refrigerator's full. Yeah, you know, inflation's hitting, you know. But, but look, we still live. This is the greatest country ever. Isaiah, what are you talking about? We, we really don't see it because on the outside, it looked good. But the prophet had what? He had perception. Why? Because God gave it to him. He says in verse number five, he said, why should you be stricken anymore? Uh, you, you, you revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint from the sole of the foot even into the head. There is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and, bruises and putrefying sores. They have been closed, neither uh, not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. You know what? Isaiah, he had uh, perception and he perceived the fall of God's people. Everybody else looked at it and said, you know what, it looks good on the outside, and man, the churches are full, and the parking lots are full, at least some of them are, and everything's good, and there's a little bit of money in the bank, and there's food on the table. Isaiah, what in the world are you talking about? But you know what he could see? He could see the root of the problem. He perceived the fall of God's people. He says in verse number 7, your country is desolate. It looks good on the outside, but you know what? It's about to crumble. It's about to fall apart because the problem was not on the outside. The problem was where? On the inside, and he perceived the fall of God's people. He says in verse number 9, Except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant, we should have been as Sodom, and, uh, and, and we should have been like unto Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, ye rulers of Sodom. Give ear unto the law of our God, ye people of Gomorrah. He was not talking to Sodom and Gomorrah. He was talking to God's people who knew better, and he perceived. This is the way it is in our human nature. We have a wound, uh, on our hand or on our arm, and this is just, this is the way my kids do it. I don't know if your kids or grandkids are different, but if there's a little bit of blood, the fix-all is what? Man, you just put a Band-Aid on it. And I think it's more mental than anything, you know what I mean? And I was there when I was a kid. If I would go from tears to triumph, if you would just put a Band-Aid on it, you know? It didn't matter. Maybe it just covered it up so we didn't have to look at it, you know what I mean? And we, couldn't, we wouldn't see the, the open wound, and it would stop the bleeding, and we just didn't have to look at it. You'd get a flesh-colored Band-Aid, put it on, all of a sudden it doesn't even hurt anymore, you know? And, and that may work when you're three or four or seven or eight, and it may work in immaturity, but at some point in time, God's people have to look with perception and see, you know what? This isn't getting better, it's getting worse. And instead of putting a band-aid on it and just trying to cover up the problem and pretending like it's not even there, you know what? We need to dig a little deeper and we do what we need to do and we need to take care of the problem. And Isaiah was a hard preacher because Isaiah was a broken-hearted preacher and he perceived what nobody else or very few perceived, the fall of God's 
people. Somebody once said this, that when America ceases to be good, America will no longer uh, exist. And so I don't know when that started, but it's been that way a long time. But you see Isaiah's perception. Take your Bibles and uh, turn over to chapter number 2. Turn over to chapter 2. In verse number 1, the Scripture says, The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah... And Jerusalem. So, so this is a continual perception that he has. And so the next few verses, he perceives the future of God's people and, and specifically the nation of Israel. Uh, it's kind of like a glimmer of light, a silver lining in the cloud. Just for a moment, uh, he preaches a message of encouragement. And God is good and God is merciful. But can I tell you this? God must judge sin. And so a brief moment, he gives us a glimpse into God's mercy, and then it's right back to it. He says in verse number 5, O house of Jacob, come ye and let us walk in the light of the Lord. Therefore thou hast forsaken thy people, the house of Jacob, because they be replenished from the east and are soothsayers like the Philistines, and they please themselves and the children of strangers. Why is God's judgment upon his people? Because the people are starting to live a lifestyle that is not pleasing to the Lord. The Bible says in verse 7, Their land also is full of silver and gold, neither is there any end of their treasures. Their land is also full of horses, neither is there any end of their chariots. And so that verse speaks of the prosperity of the nation of Israel. Man, man when it came to money in the bank, man, the, the coffers were full. I mean, the, the temple, they had plenty going on there in, in the temple. And, and when it came to horses and chariots, you know what that speaks of? That speaks of their military strength. And uh, man, they're financially, they were looking really good on the outside. Their treasures were full. Uh, there, was, there was horses and chariots. That means at this point in time, they were ready, at least from an outward standpoint, they were ready to take on some of the greatest threats that could have come up. And so, uh, but the Bible says in verse 8, their land also is full of idols. By the way, don't judge the spirituality of a nation or a church or a family by material prosperity. Uh, somebody that does have material prosperity, is God blessing them? Yeah, but that might be a curse to them. Somebody once said this, the more we get from God, many times the less he gets from us. And many times in this country, you know what? We're intoxicated on prosperity, and just because all of your needs are met above and beyond doesn't mean there's a work of spirituality going on there, because that's what Israel had going on. The Bible says their land also is full of idols. They worship the works of their own hands, that which their own fingers have made. You say, preacher, I don't bow down to no statues. Well, I hope you don't. Uh, there's people all over this world that do millions upon millions that bow down to statues of Buddha or Confucius or they worship some uh, other idol. Maybe they worship a statue of the Virgin Mary or something like that. And uh, somebody once said that the difference between the heathen idols and our idols is theirs are on the outside and ours are on the inside. And uh, it's when we worship things that are made with hands. I don't have mine in the service this morning, but you know what? I'm not saying people worship their smartphones, but when you look at it, a lot of people, you know what they are? They're glued to their screens. And, and let me ask you this. Do you go to the scriptures or do you go to social media? When you get up in the morning, the first thing that you do, do you grab your Bible to get a word from the Lord or do you go to your phone and get on 
Facebook. And you know what? Our priorities sometimes will determine our spirituality. And Israel, it looked really good on the outside, but guess what? God's prophet, Isaiah, he had perception. He saw the fall of God's people. He saw the focus of God's people. Their focus was on prosperity and not on the Lord. He saw their idolatry, and then he saw the forfeit of God's people. Hey, do you know what? Life is full of choices, and you can have what you want, but you might lose what you got. And so notice chapter number 3. For, for behold, the Lord... The Lord of hosts doth take away from Jerusalem from, and from Judah the stay and the staff, the whole stay of bread and the whole stay of water. Now many times if you read uh, the Old Testament, you find that God, God in His mercy, when His children get out of fellowship with Him and get distracted, you know what He would do? He would very creatively guide them back into fellowship and sometimes it was painful. Sometimes he took some things away and in their agricultural society, you know what he would do? He would withhold the rain. And if he withheld the rain, guess what wouldn't grow? The crops, the grain. You withhold the rain, no grain. And that you would say God is mean to judge his people that way. The Bible says whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth or correcteth. And that's not a sign that God is not for you. Uh, that's a sign that he loves you when you go through chastening. And so he would withhold that and he would try to get his people's attention. And so the Bible says that they forfeited God's blessings when they took what they wanted. The Bible says in verse 2, they forfeited the mighty man and the man of war, the judge, the prophet, the prudent, and the ancient. I thank God for every church that I have a privilege to preach in, but by and far, you know who does most of the ministry work in a lot of churches around this country? The ladies do. And I thank God for godly ladies who are willing to step in and do the work and serve in the ministry. It would not work without godly women investing their time and efforts into the ministry. But here's my question. Where are the men? And, and you know what's an indicator of? Hey, we forfeited God's blessing. I was thankful to see men in the choir. I'm thankful to see men in church this morning. I'm thankful to see men that will come and attend and raise their children and grandchildren in church. But a sign of men not being the spiritual leaders, it's an indicator that our country has turned its back on the Lord. Isaiah saw it. He said, where's the leaders at? Where are the mature spiritual men? And you know what? When we focus on prosperity, we can get what we want, but you know what we'll lose? will forfeit God's blessing. He says in verse uh, number 3, the captain of the 50, the honorable man, the counselor, and the cunning artificer, and the eloquent orator. And so it's interesting. I started working when I was about 14 years old, and, uh, and I've heard this from the time I was 14 until now. It's just hard to find good what? Hell, nobody wants to work. Uh, nobody really does. You know, everybody wants it easy and, and easy peasy. And I've learned this in life. The less you invest into something, the, le the, 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 the less you get out of it. And so where, where's the good help? Where's the good work? Hey, we look at our country and we look at our churches and say, man, what are you talking about? Everything looks really, really good. 
but we're focusing on the wrong things and we're forfeiting God's blessing. The Bible says in verse 5, and the people shall be oppressed, everyone by another, everyone by his neighbor. So instead of me looking across the aisle and say, hey, I want to be a blessing to my brother or sister, you know what we're looking for? Somebody to be a blessing to us. And, uh, and we just turned the whole thing on its head. Hey, ministry is not about being served. It's about serving. You say, I'm not being called to the ministry. Every blood-bought, uh, born-again child of God is called to full-time ministry. You may have not been called to preach, but you've been called to reach. And it's not just the pastor's job. His job is to fulfill the pulpit. It's the people's job to fill the pew. But you know what? It's an indicator that in our country, in our churches, we've been focused on the wrong things. Instead of serving others, we want to be served. Uh, the Bible says uh, in verse uh, number 5, it says, The people shall be oppressed, every one by another, and every one by his neighbor. The child shall behave himself proudly against the ancient. Uh, you, you ever see that around, going around, on around the country? Uh, young people don't have any respect for old people. Uh, it's interesting, too. If you're not careful, you'll grow up and grow old and be cynical, and you won't have any care for young people. And so it's a two-way street. And I try to teach my children, you respect those who have been on the earth longer than you have. You respect them and you say yes sir and no sir and yes ma'am and you use manners. It's not about really lifting anybody up. It's about respect. But you know what? The older person ought to reach out into a younger person's life and try to be a help to them. And it's a two-way street, but we don't see that anymore. It's an indicator we focus on the wrong things. The Bible says in verse 6, when a man shall take hold of his brother of the house of his father, saying, Thou hast clothing, be thou our ruler, and let this ruin be under thy hand. Hey, hey, you have uh, means, and you have goods, and you got a little bit of extra food and room in your house, so you be our ruler, whether you're qualified or not. It's kind of like saying this, well, you've been in politics for at least 40 years, so that must make you qualified. You be our ruler. By the way, we know that if you've been in politics for 40 years, I don't really have any soft place in my heart for a career politician. But you know what? It's an indicator. It's an indicator. And Isaiah saw it, his perception that we're not on our way up. We're on our way down. And I love to hear and I love to see and I understand the thought where people say, hey, God bless America, but God cannot and will not continue to bless America as long as America is legalizing sin. And Isaiah, you know what he did? He perceived it. He saw it. He could look underneath the bandage and underneath the band-aid. And he saw, he saw the fall and the focus and the forfeit of God's people. We could look at Isaiah chapter 6 and we could see Isaiah's purification. You know what he saw? He saw all the problems, but you know what he also saw? The Bible says that he also saw the Lord high and lifted up. Uh, you could call Isaiah chapter 6 Isaiah's revival. Uh, he humbled himself before God. God dealt with his sin issue, and he had a revival. And after the revival meeting, you know what he said? Here am I, Lord. Here am I, Lord. Send me. And it's part of the process. And I hope, I hope this week, if you can't attend, that at least you'll pray. But there's no shortcut in the process of revival. There's no shortcut. Uh, and, and the Bible says, if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves. It's easy to pray for revival, but it's hard to humble yourself and say, Lord, what's in my life? What do I need to change? Isaiah specifically said, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean 
lips. Did the prophet say something? Evidently he did. Maybe it wasn't the way, it wasn't exactly what he said, but in the way that he said it. Uh, you young people here, you young people, you teenagers, hey, when you talk to your parents and you talk to your grandparents, you know how you ought to do it? You ought to do it with a respectful tone. And sometimes you can obey on the outside, but on the inside, you're not obeying. And you know how we can tell? The tone of your voice. It's not so much that you, what you say, but in the manner of which you say it. And evidently Isaiah said something in the wrong way, or he said the wrong thing, and before he could surrender and experience revival, you know what he had to do? He had to get that right. He had to be purified. So, so point number one, and I'm looking at the clock. Blessed is the preacher who finishes on time, okay? <laughs> point number one, Isaiah's perception. Things are not always as they seem. And the Spirit of God can help you to see how things really, really are. And it's not about what's out there. You know what it's about? It's about what's right here. It's my heart. It's your heart. That's where it starts. You see Isaiah's purification in verse Number six, when he got things right and got things ready, then he was ready to serve the Lord and God sent him. But take your Bible and turn to Isaiah chapter 64. We're going to fast forward almost to the end. Somebody said, are you preaching the whole book of Isaiah today? Not the whole book, not the whole book. The greatest need, the greatest need of the hour. Notice what Isaiah, his, his plea. So you have Isaiah and his perception and then you have Isaiah in chapter 6, his purification. He also saw the Lord. And then in Isaiah 64, you have Isaiah and his, his plea or his prayer. He says in verse number 1, he says, Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens. Anytime you see the word O oh, or you see the letter O, oh, you see it a lot of times in the Psalms. And you know what it is? It's a, it's a, it's a term or a word of desperation. This is a, a term of desperation. He says it in verse 1. He says, Oh, that thou wouldst rend the heavens. He says in verse 4, Oh, God beside thee. Uh, he says it, you come down to verse 8, But now, O oh Lord. Verse number 9, Be not wroth very sore, O oh Lord. Verse 12, he says, O oh Lord. You know what it is? It's a term of desperation. And it's not just a prayer request. It's a desperate prayer request. He says, oh, that thou wouldst rend the heavens, that thou wouldst come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence. He says in verse 2, as when the melting fire burneth, the fire causeth the waters to boil. So there's two pictures going on here. In verse 1, there's the picture of the heavens opening up and the clouds letting go and the showers of blessing comes down upon the mountain. And so verse number 1 is a picture of revival and he's requesting the rain that came down that would come down from heaven have you heard the song there shall be showers of blessing precious what reviving again I think the songwriter knew this passage and then in verse number two it goes from water or rain and then it says as when the melting fire burneth the fire causeth the waters to boil so I got something from our, our kitchen this morning so the imagery of is, is of a boiling pot of water. Now, uh, this is a, a really nice pot. I think it's called a Dutch oven. My wife got this for Christmas. And when you, the first thing I thought when she got this is when you live in an RV, if something goes in, something's got to go 
out. And so my first question is, what is that going to replace? You know, we can't just have all these pots. And so this is a really good one. And, uh, and so I'll use this this morning. And so this is the way we are a lot of times, especially as independent fundamental Baptists. We want boiling water. So we have the pot and we put water in it and we look at it for a little bit. And uh, have you ever heard that saying uh, about boiling water? You know, you just... Yeah, that's right. It takes forever. And it never seems like it's working. And you start to get frustrated and impatient. And you say, hey, this is what we do as independent Baptists. There must be something wrong with the pot. And so we change the pot, you know, and we get a nice new pot, you know, a Dutch oven, you know, and we change the pot. And we put the water in it and and we're watching it and it still doesn't boil. And so we get impatient and we get frustrated again. And you say, we've changed the pot and it's not the pot. Maybe it's the water. Maybe it's the water here in this part of Georgia. It's soft or it's hard or it's something. And, uh, and, and we've changed the pot. Now we need to change the water. We need to change the product. And so we put in some distilled water in there, purified, and we put it back in the pot and we watch it and we get impatient and anxious and, and there's no boiling water. So we get really, really frustrated. And so you know what? It's not the pot and it's not the product. It must be the procedure. Maybe we need to change up the way we're doing things, change the order of service or change the music or change something. Maybe we're doing it wrong and we just need to change this up and change that up and that'll fix the problem. So we change the procedure around a little bit. We stand back and we watch and we watch the pot and uh, no boiling water. And so now we're really frustrated. We've changed the what? The pot. We've changed the product. We've changed the procedure. We change it all up. We do it differently. Uh, maybe we're in the wrong place, you know. Maybe we're in the wrong place. That's why we're not seeing any boiling water. And maybe we need to change our location. You know, maybe we need to move from here to there to get, you know, better view of the public eye, whatever it might be. And so we change the place. We set everything up in a new place and we start all over again. And you know what? No boiling water. And what happens? You get anxious, you get impatient, and then you get what? Frustrated. And that's where we are. We're frustrated today. And so we've changed everything that we know to change. So it must be, it must not be the pot or the product or the procedure or the place. It must be the people. Maybe we need a new pastor. Maybe we'll vote this one out and vote another one in. Uh, maybe we'll do this. Or maybe we got the wrong people doing the wrong things. Maybe we need to change up the personnel that we do things. So we, we change the personnel. We don't let so-and-so do it the way they're doing it because it's not working. So we'll put somebody else in there to do it, whether they're qualified or not. And you know what? We sit back and we watch this time with anticipation and nothing happens and then the anxiety builds and then we're impatient and then we get frustrated and uh, there's no boiling water. Can I ask you, what's the missing ingredient? The missing ingredient is fire. It's the fire. And so Jeremiah, when he was uh, commissioned to preach and he talked about the Word of God being in his bones as a burning fire. Uh, at the end of the book of Luke, there's a couple of disciples and they've seen the crucifixion and they've seen the Lord Jesus crucified and they've seen Him put in the grave and they're on the way back to their hometown and they're just thinking, man, I thought it was going to work out different than this. And who appeared beside of them? The Lord Jesus. And He went from Genesis to Revelation and told them all things concerning Himself. And they said, did our hearts not burn within us. You know what? The number one problem in our country today, it's not economic, it's not political, it's not medical, it's not racial, it's spiritual. God's people have no fire. 
You say, well, I just don't get that passionate about things. How many of you are Georgia Bulldogs fans? Yeah, Georgia born and Georgia bred, and when you die, you'll be Georgia dead. Georgia Bulldogs fans are some of the most, uh, what's a good word, passionate. They're, they're almost rabid fans, and that's the kind of fan you ought to be. You know, if you've got a team, you ought to support your team. So don't tell me that you're not a passionate person. You're passionate about the things you want to be passionate about, and the problem is there is no fire. There's nothing wrong with the place. There's nothing wrong with the people. There's nothing wrong with the time. There's nothing wrong with the order of service. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. The problem is not out there. The problem is where? It's in here. It's in my heart. And there is no fire. The Bible says, blessed are the hungry, for they shall be filled. The, the writer of Proverbs says this, the fool, F-U-L-L, the fool soul loatheth the honeycomb. I got kids, and I'm a man, I like to snack, I love to eat Pringles, and I can eat a Pringle any time of the day. Ten minutes before dinner, I can pull out a can of Pringles and enjoy a can of Pringles. My kids love that, and we just love to snack. Do you guys like to snack? Now, I've heard this. I heard this when I was growing up, and I heard it from my mom. Now I hear my wife tell my children this, don't snack too much or you're going to spoil your what? Your dinner. And so we sit down for dinner, and we have a wonderful meal that your wife has prepared, and she's labored hard for that with the microwave to get it out on the table. And we get it out there, and you sit down, and you just kind of toy with it just a little bit, and, uh, and, and the kids aren't hungry. How come you're not hungry? What, what have you been eating? You know why we have no passion or fire for God? Because we're filling up on everything else. We're filling up on social media, on bad politics, bad news, bad relationships. We're focusing on what everybody else is doing. We're focusing on this war and that war. And the problem is when we come to God's table, guess what? We're not hungry because we've been filling up on every single other unimportant thing. And America's greatest number one need and the church's number one need is not out there, but it's fire right here in my heart. Can I ask you this question? Was there a time in your life that you felt like you were closer to God than you are right now? Was there a time where you prayed more fervently? I'm not talking about long prayer. I'm just talking about fervent prayer. Was there a time that you did pass out gospel tracts? Was there a time that you did uh, read your Bible on a consistent basis? Was there a time where you were burdened for lost people or a family member? Was there a time that you were closer to God than you are right now? Let me ask you this. Who moved? Who, did God move? And here's Isaiah. He's a broken-hearted prophet. He sees his country. He's a patriot. He sees it falling apart under his eyes. Everybody thinks, boy, it's just really good, and it's going to get better. And Isaiah, he has this perception about him. In Isaiah 6, he sees the Lord high and lifted up, and he sees the Lord, and he sees his own sin, and he gets his own sin right and confessed before the Lord. Then he surrenders and says, Lord, here am I. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. And you see his purification process, and in 64, you see his desperate prayer request or his plea, you know what he's praying for? He's praying for revival. And, uh, and you know where rev revival always starts. It doesn't start 
out there, revival always starts in the heart of God's people. And if you're here this morning and you say there was a time I was more on fire than I am right now, can I tell you, you are a great candidate for spiritual revival. If you're here this morning and if you dropped dead on the way home and you didn't know that heaven was your home, can I tell you, you probably need to be born again. You need to come to Jesus and not rely on your denomination or rely on your baptism or rely on the fact that you grew up in church. None of those things will save you from eternal separation from God. It's Jesus and Jesus only. You must come to Him by faith, confess your sins, ask for forgiveness, and He promises to give you eternal life. If you say, I'm not sure about that, can I encourage you this morning? You can get that settled right away. We're finished this morning. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer, please? I just want to ask a couple of questions this morning. Then we'll have our invitation and pastor will come and he'll close as he sees fit. But if you're here this morning and, and pastor's here, there's nobody else looking around. We don't want to embarrass anybody. That's not our goal. But this is for me and this is for you. If God spoke to your heart and you said, you know, there's a time that I was closer to God than I am right now. Can I encourage you just to get those things right with the Lord? Was there a time where, when you used to do this? What's your worldview? Do you feel like this world's getting better? Or do you, see the, the, do you see the reality of what's happening in this country? And does it break your heart? Can you bring that to the Lord? You'd say, hey, God spoke to my heart. There was a time that I was closer to the Lord than I am right now, but I want to, with God's help, I want to get back to where I need to be, just say, preacher, would you pray for me? Just slip your hand in the air and put it right back down. Is there anybody like that? You'd say, I need revival. I need fire in my heart. Would you pray for me? Just slip your hand up, put it right back down. Anybody like that at all? I'll pray with you, and I'll pray for you. Would you say, I need, fi- I need the fire. I need the fire in my heart. I don't have the fire in my heart. Well, ask the Lord for it. Ask the Lord for it. He'll give it to you. If you're here this morning, maybe you're visiting, maybe you've been coming for a little while and you say, well, I don't even know if I'm even saved. I mean, I believe in God, but I'm not sure if I died, I'd go to heaven. Can I encourage you this morning? You can know for sure before you leave that your heaven is your home. If you're here this morning, you'd say, Brother Thomas, I'm not sure that I'm saved. Would you pray for me? I'd love to pray for you. I won't embarrass you, but I'll see your hand and you can put it right back down. You'd say, preacher, I'm not sure I'm even saved. Would you pray for me that I could get that assurance of salvation because I'm concerned about that? All you got to do is slip your hand in the air and put it right back down. You don't know you'd go to heaven. You don't know you'd go to hell. Is there anybody like that? Just hold it up high for a moment. You say, I'm not saved, and I'd like for you to pray for me about my salvation. Anybody like that at all? Okay, I'm going to pray, and uh, we're going to sing a stanza or two. Uh, Miss Sherry, can we look at 591? 591 is have thine own way. We'll look at a, a stanza or two. I just want to encourage you, if God spoke to your heart, you just do business with him. And if we can help you, we're here to help you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your goodness and we thank you for your mercy. And uh, Lord, none of our problems are new problems. Uh, We start to focus on the wrong things. Uh, Lord, we are intoxicated by the prosperity that we enjoy in a first world country. And Lord, sometimes it turns our heart from you. And Lord, our country is a mess because we're focused on the wrong things and it's clear that we forfeited a lot of your blessing. Help us to perceive that. I pray that like Isaiah, we'd purify our hearts. Lord, if there's something that needs to be confessed or dealt with, that we deal with that. And Lord, as painful as it might be, I pray that we'd get it right with the other person involved. 
And Lord, just confess it and you promise to forgive. And Lord, I pray that our desperate plea would be that you would rend the heavens. And Lord, that you would rain the showers of blessings. And Lord, that you would send the fire upon not their hearts, but my heart. And Lord, stir my heart and help me to be an obedient Christian. And I pray that, Lord, you'd help us just to obey, just to obey. And we thank you for what you're going to do. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? And Miss Sherry's going to play. We're 591. And if we can help you at all, help you at all, we want to be a help. Can we sing on verse number one? Can we sing? Can we sing? You got your hymn book, 591. If God's dealt in your heart as we sing. Have thine own way, Lord. Is that true? Would you give him your, his own way? Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will while I am waiting here's the key yielded and still we'll sing verse number 2 and the pastor will come and close the service have thine own way Lord have thine own way search me and try me master today Whiter than snow, Lord, wash me just now. One more verse as they play through. If you need to come, don't hesitate, don't wait. There's time this morning. If you need to come, you come.